Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Hi, Oddings. It's your Ate Sapphire. Today, we'll be traveling all over South and Southeast Asia, listening to the stories you've submitted. First stop is Indonesia, where a young girl's friend gets her into some trouble. Then, we'll head to a haunted apartment building in India, travel to a middle school in Vietnam, visit a mountain back in India, and finally make our last stop in Cambodia, where a family is tormented by an ancestor's past. I receive hundreds of amazing story submissions every week. If you have a tale you're dying to share, send me an email at somethingscary@snarled.com. So, want to hear something scary? Our first story comes from Rini in Indonesia. This happened to her older sister when she was three and Rini wasn't born yet. She sent this in because she's hoping someone out there has an idea of what really happened to her sister. So we lived in a housing complex in Bekasi, a town that used to be known for its massive flood that came every five years. My house was located half a mile from a small river that always became overflown in that five-year cycle. Alongside the river, there used to grow beautiful bamboo trees. My sister's nanny would take her on a walk along the riverside in the afternoon to play. One day, my sister began talking about new friends she made. There were two of them, Nesha and Corin. My mother thought my sister was just talking about imaginary friends, just like any child her age might do. My sister told my mother that Nesha was a kind and smart girl, while Corin was a very naughty boy. My mother asked where Nesha and Corin lived, and my sister told her that Nesha lived on a bamboo tree while Corin lived in the river. Every morning, around 3 a.m., my sister would wake up and play with her friends in the living room with her toys. They also followed my sister wherever she went. One night, my mother and sister were driving home from my grandmother's house. My sister was sitting in the back seat alone while mom was driving. My mother asked her if she was scared sitting there alone and if she wanted to move to the front seat. My sister told mother she wasn't scared because she wasn't alone. Nesha was with her in the back seat, standing behind my mother, hugging the driver's seat. My mother laughed it off, but for the first time, she felt a little creeped out. The next day, while cleaning the house, my mother stumbled upon a book, A Dialogue with Jin. This was a book that was given to her as a gift many years ago, but she never had time to read. 
she began to flip through the book and came upon a word. Corin. It's the name of the jinn that lived alongside a human being. In Islamic belief, a jinn is a supernatural creature. Unlike ghosts, it isn't a spirit of a deceased person. They have the ability to shapeshift and to possess a human. Of course, this discovery alerted my mother. It's impossible that a three-year-old girl would know such a term, which meant my sister didn't know what had latched onto her. One evening, the five-year cycle flood came, and my house was surrounded by water. Mother told my sister not to go outside for her own safety, but my sister told her she needed to come outside because Nesha and Corin wanted her to play in the water. Before my mother knew it, my sister sprinted outside and rushed into the raging waters. She started yelling about how she had to be with Nesha and Corin, or else they wouldn't like her anymore. My mom rushed after her, but my sister was faster. She stepped down from the patio and into the water, but somehow she wasn't pulled by the rapids. It was as if she was standing in calm, shallow water. She smiled at my mother and said, See? They just want to play. But she didn't finish her sentence. Something under the water grabbed her and she was yanked down into the undertow. My mom screamed and reached down into the murky, unclear water. She felt a hand and tried to pull it up. But the skin was rough and the nails were unusually long. My mother knew this was not my sister. She let go of the hand, which swatted at her with its long nails, leaving deep cuts on my mother's arms that she still has to this day. She yelped in pain and quickly rushed into the house to grab a kitchen knife. My mother went back on the patio, said a brief prayer, and dropped the knife into the water. Moments went by, and then large bubbles erupted from the rapids. My sister rose from the water and my mom snagged her out of the current. My sister coughed up water and cried. Why did you do that? Why did you run into the flood? Nesha and Corin said it was safe. I'll never play with them again, Mommy, I promise. And that was that. After that day, they were gone. My sister never woke up at 3 a.m. again, and she soon forgot about them. It's been 23 years, and my sister doesn't remember any of this. Were they just imaginary friends, or were they something much more powerful? The mystery remains unsolved, and I was hoping anyone out there could shed some light on it. Thank you so much, Rini, for sharing that story with us. And if anyone listening right now has any sort of answers for her, uh, feel free to email me, somethingscary at snarl.com. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. 
Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Now we trek over to India, where Ved's dad had a very interesting night as a police officer. My dad was in the NCC, or National Cadet Corps. He was deployed in a village in Maharashtra. He was a police officer with his friend, Sunil. They were patrolling at midnight, and they were moving slowly because they had huge rucksacks on their backs. They were in the middle of a conversation about food when suddenly the streetlights went out and they heard a lady scream from a building next to them. They heard her scream, Help me! All the sound seemed to slip from the area. Just the woman's screams remained. The building the scream was echoing from was a large, rundown structure about three stories tall. My dad and Sunil ran towards the apartment. His ACP, or Assistant Chief of Police, was standing outside the building and asked, What are you doing here? I heard a scream in that apartment, my dad replied. It was a woman's voice saying, Save me. We were going to check in on her, sir. The ACP nodded, but before my dad went inside the building, the ACP quickly held out his hand and stopped him. He handed him a revolver. Take this, he said. If anything goes wrong, don't be afraid to shoot. Yes, sir, responded my dad, and he and Sunil slowly climbed up the dark staircase. The revolver was a bit heavy, so my dad put it in his rucksack. The two of them went to the third floor. They found the door of the apartment where the scream came from. My dad took out the gun and pointed it at the door and told his friend to open it up. Sunil kicked the door open. They were prepared to see a gruesome scene, but what they saw was a woman, casually sitting near the window, looking out into the sky. The apartment was very dark, and the only thing lighting the room was a candle on the shelf. The woman got up and looked at my dad. Hello, what do you want? Her voice was very calm. My dad and his friend thought maybe they entered the wrong apartment. She was a pretty woman in her mid-twenties and was fair, slim, and a bit pale. My dad could almost see through her she was so thin. But he wrote it off as an illusion in the dim light. He asked her, Ma'am, we heard a scream coming from this room. Is everything okay? Are you hurt? No, I'm absolutely fine, said the woman very calmly. My dad was a bit skeptical and asked his friend to check the apartment, tossing him a flashlight and the gun. Over the next 10 minutes, my dad continued to question the lady. She was mostly relaxed, but at times seemed unresponsive. Soon, my dad's friend returned and said, Nothing suspicious. Let's go. My dad nodded and they left together. Have a good night, ma'am. Sorry for the disturbance. Later that night, my dad gave his report of their patrol at the police station. However, when he finished, the whole station looked at him like he was mad. Someone paged the ACP. My dad smiled at him, but the ACP just stared right back in confusion. My dad held out the ACP's revolver to return it. Thanks for this, but we didn't need it. The ACP pulled out his own revolver. I never gave you my gun. I've been here all day, 
Everyone grew silent as my dad's friend Sunil was brought in and questioned. He had a completely different version of what happened that night. Sure, we patrolled together, but once we hit that part of the village, I left to go to the bathroom and found you waiting outside that old abandoned building. No one knew what to say now. Did somebody pose as an officer of the law and give my dad a revolver? A knowing look washed over the ACP's face as he turned to my dad. Tomorrow morning, I'll go with you to the apartment, and you can show me what happened, okay? The next morning, my dad and the ACP went to the apartment together. But the building looked much different than before. It was older, completely run down. When they got to the woman's apartment, the ACP pulled out a rusty key. Wait, why did he have a key to this place? My dad thought. They opened the door. My dad was confused. This apartment looked like no one had lived there for years. This isn't the same place, my dad said. The apartment we came into last night was clean and tidy. We have to be in the wrong building. A woman used to live here, the ACP said. Five years ago, in the middle of the night, she threw herself from that window, but survived the fall. But she was in immense pain lying on the asphalt with twisted limbs and broken bones. So she screamed, screamed for help, but no one came until it was too late. My dad just stood there. He didn't know what to say. So you believe me? when I said that I saw a woman here last night and that everything was completely different? Of course I do, the ACP said. Because I saw her too. The next day, my dad requested a transfer to another village. Thank you, Ved, for sharing your dad's story with us. Uh, stories like this where people seemingly enter a period of time like in the past or the future are actually more common than we think. Um, we call them time slips. Um, I know a couple of people who this has happened to. I think it's just the wildest thing. It's like the fact that Ved's dad in this story had the revolver, but then the ACP didn't actually give that revolver to him. So it's like, whose revolver is that? Oh man, stories like that are just so crazy to me. And um, yeah, thank you so much for sharing this. If you're fascinated by the darker sides of humanity, join us every week on our podcast, Serial Killers, where we go deep into notorious true crime cases. With significant research and careful analysis, we examine the psyche of a killer, their motives and targets, and law enforcement's pursuit to stop their spree. Follow Serial Killers wherever you get your podcasts and get new episodes every Monday. And now we travel to a middle school in Vietnam for this short and not-so-sweet story from V. V had just transferred to a new middle school. For the past five years, the school had not had any parties or dances. They used to, but no one really talked about why they didn't anymore. Since it would be V's last year as a middle schooler, she begged and pleaded with the principal to let them have a dance this year. Eventually, she wore them down and they agreed. V was designated the head of the dance planning committee. 
Miss Nguyen was the supervising staff member, and the rest of the team consisted of five students. V had so many ambitious ideas for the end of the year dance, but the committee settled on the theme of Starry Night. Not incredibly original, but hey, they're children. The plan was to fill the auditorium ceiling with balloons and attach paper stars to the bottom of the strings. There would also be streamers and other decorations to be hung. But that job was reserved for the adults, for the children's safety. Miss Nguyen made it very clear that no students were allowed on the ladders. It was the day of the dance, and the kids only had a few hours to get everything set up, so everyone was moving very quickly. V was pinning stars to the walls of the lobby, the small area right outside the entrance to the auditorium. She heard someone call out to her. Hey, can you help me with this? V looked over and saw a girl high on a ladder struggling to reach the ceiling. I think you're taller hey, than Hey, you're me. not allowed up there. Yes, I am. Miss Nguyen said it was fine since we don't have much time left. V was a little suspicious. She didn't know this girl and didn't know whether to trust her word. But she did know that they were in a hurry. So can you help me? After some consideration, V headed towards the ladder as the girl began to descend. That's when Miss Nguyen poked her head into the lobby. V, can you come here for a quick second? She sounded very concerned. The girl quickly hopped off the ladder. V shot her a look. So maybe she wasn't allowed up there after all. V followed Miss Nguyen into the auditorium, worried that she was going to scold her for allowing that girl to break the rule. But Miss Nguyen wasn't mad at all. In fact, she looked more worried than mad. So Min wanted to know what you thought about the, uh, the length of the string. Do you mind helping her out? Said Miss Nguyen. Oh, okay, yeah, sure. Uh, by the way, there's a girl in the lobby. She said that you said she could use the ladder. Don't worry about her. Just go help Min. V was a little taken aback by how curt Miss Nguyen was being, but she went over to the table Min was sitting at. She watched as Miss Nguyen peered into the lobby and walked away. Is something wrong with Miss Nguyen? V asked Min. She's acting really weird. Well, yeah, can you blame her? Blame her for what? Min stared back at V. Six years ago, while planning one of the dances, one of the students fell off a ladder. She died instantly. Oh no, that's awful! So the school canceled the dance, and every year after that, the staff was too afraid of planning any other ones. I'm sure Miss Nguyen is worried that something might happen again. V examined Min's face looking for any trace of a smile. If she was lying, she was being really convincing. In the corner of her eye, she watched one of the students enter the lobby. It happened over there, Min continued, pointing toward the lobby. You know, some people say that they see her sometimes, the girl. She tries to get you to go up on the ladder. Some people think it's because she wants to push someone off so they can, you know join her. V looked over at the lobby entrance. Oh no. They were interrupted by a shriek and a thud coming from the lobby. Everyone rushed over. The dance was canceled. Thank you V for sharing that story with us and I'm glad that you were able to avoid falling off of that ladder because that would have been pretty bad. 
And I hope that uh, ghost girl, whoever she is, doesn't successfully bring anyone else to the other side with her. We're going to head back to India, where Tanishka's story about a hungry mountain takes place. And I would like to apologize in advance for any names that I mispronounce. The following incident happened in the year 2012, in the small village where my friend lived with his family. It was a close-knit, very religious community. Bajunat is a place that has a temple where thousands of people visit every year to worship Lord Vishnu, but the temple remains closed for almost the entire winter. So during that time, certain holy practices called puja take place in the village of Joshimat. My friend was set to meet his family and relax for the month. However, a horrifying tale kept him terrified his entire holiday. The puja of the Lord Vishnu takes place in a certain manner, and it requires certain flowers which can only be gathered from a particular tree. Those trees grow up in high altitudes, so people will need to go and gather those flowers from up on the hilly areas. Since the journey was long and tiring, the priest of the puja asked the community who would go and bring those flowers. Three teenage boys, Rajiv, Arjun, and Ramesh, agreed to go to the hilltop since they thought it would be a fun journey. The priest had warned them not to leave after sunset, and at any point, if they hear someone calling them, they cannot turn around. They must run and come back to the village as soon as possible. Most importantly, they must not apply any sort of scent on their bodies. The trio was not superstitious at all and decided to do the opposite of the priest's warnings, just to prove him wrong. Arjun and Rajiv sprayed themselves with deodorant, but the can ran out before Ramesh could have any. They left at 4 p.m., knowing that the sun would set around 5. The boys went on their journey. Soon, it got very dark. Ramesh said, I think we should not go further. It's too dark and we're going against the instructions of the priest. The other two boys just laughed it off. Stopping a wuss, Arjun said. After a little argument, Ramesh decided to stay in the cave nearby and wait for the other two boys. They were completely unharmed and laughed at all the priest's stupid warnings. On their way back down the mountain, Rajiv heard his name being called out. Then Arjun heard a similar whisper. It was a feminine voice. Remembering what the priest had said, the two boys ran down the hilly slope without turning back. But then Rajiv heard his name being called again called by his mother? Rajiv couldn't help it and was worried his mother came up the mountain to help him. So he turned back around and spotted a shadow under the moonlight. The shadow was moving fast across the mountain, heading towards them. The shadow started rushing towards him faster and he decided to run back. But the shadow was gaining on him. He screamed in pain as the shadow merged into his own. Arjun heard the scream and turned back, just to watch his friend get sucked into the earth of the hill. 
Terrified, he ran fast down the hill and reached the cave where Ramesh was waiting. Arjun told him about the shadow, and they both decided to go back to the village as soon as possible. The boy sprinted off into the night. But on their way back, a familiar voice echoed out across the mountain, calling their names. The voice was screaming in agony, asking for help. It was the voice of Rajiv. The two turned, only to see the shadow advancing on them. This time, it took up nearly the whole size of the mountain, and it was spreading fast. The shadow soon enveloped Arjun. But this time, Ramesh did not turn back. He did not stop to help. He just kept sprinting as he heard his friend choke on the dirt of the mountain. Ramesh eventually made it back to town by sunrise. He was extremely tired, but he went straight to the priest and told him what had happened. The priest then explained that the mountains have consumed several travelers and the bodies of those people will never receive a proper cremation. So their souls wander in the mountains, wanting to escape their torment. Such spirits get attracted to new travelers and attach themselves to those who remind them of the lives they left behind. They are most drawn to exotic smells and young blood. The parents of Arjun and Rajiv sent the police to search in the mountain, but the boys were never found. Some say that they still hear the boys calling out for help in the deep valleys of that place. Arjun was my friend's cousin. Till this day, he still misses him and says that he can never forget those winter vacations they shared together. He longs to hear Arjun's voice once more, but to do that would mean climbing that mountain. Thank you, Tanishka, for sharing that story with me. Um, I hope I didn't pronounce everything too horribly that it's unlistenable. If I've learned anything from doing this show, it's uh, always listen to priests and spiritual leaders and shamans and anyone who is more familiar with the other realm than I am. And now we've reached our final destination in Cambodia, where Dory's family lives. My family lives in Cambodia. When I was younger, I remember coming home from school one day to see my mom throwing out all of the spiritual shrines. One of the shrines was dedicated to our ancestor. Another one was for the spirit that protected our home from evil beings. I had always been taught that these shrines were to be well respected, so I was shocked that my mother was removing them. My mom has always been known for having a bad temper, but I had never seen her as frightening as she was that day. Actually, I had noticed her mood gradually worsening over the last few months, but something happened that day to completely set her off. I wanted to ask my mom if she was okay, but my dad pulled me and my brother aside in our room. Your mother is fine, he reassured us. She's just been going through a tough time. What's wrong with mom? I asked. My dad told us about how our mom was being bothered by the ghosts living in the house. My mom was extremely irritable because she couldn't sleep. She would wake up every night to see a woman and two of her children standing beside her bed, begging for food. Sometimes they would jump onto her or lie down next to her and my mom had had enough of it. 
Why are the ghosts bothering mom? I continued to prod. I had never seen any spirits myself, but I believed that the rest of my family had. My dad released a heavy sigh and began to tell us about our family's biggest secret. My great-grandmother from my mother's side was a royal dancer. In the past, classical royal dancers had a master, a powerful and superior spirit who gave dancers great skill, but for a price. My great-grandmother had to perform grand rituals and give offerings to appease her master every year. When she passed away, this duty fell on her descendant. Whenever the ritual was not held, one of my relatives would fall ill until they performed the ritual, and this duty is passed from generation to generation. So, after my grandmother had passed, the duty fell onto my mother. She was not fond of this practice that was forcefully entrusted to her, so she took my aunt's advice and converted from Buddhism to Christianity to escape from it. And that was when the haunting started. If any of the family members wished to convert, the master would pay a visit right before the baptism to try to change their mind. And the day that I walked in on my mom destroying our shrines was the day after her Christian baptism. Unfortunately, the master continued to torment her and the rest of our family long after that day. My parents decided that we all had to be baptized Christians in an attempt to detach ourselves from these entities. Even after we had multiple shamans cleanse our home, it seemed like nothing could get rid of all the negative energy in that house, so we moved. But my brother, who longed for independence, insisted on staying in that house by himself while the rest of us moved to our new home. Although he had experienced several encounters with the ghosts, he was not as shaken as my parents had been, but we had all been baptized already. He had not. The night before my brother's baptism, he opened his eyes and realized he was experiencing what he thought was sleep paralysis. This had happened to him multiple times before in that house, but this time, there were several children in his bedroom. They had tied him up with a rope and were saying, come with us. My brother tried to break free from the rope and was surprised that he was able to move his body at all. Maybe it wasn't sleep paralysis. I'm not afraid of you, he shouted at the children. I am now a follower of God and he will protect me. The spirits laughed at him. And then he appeared, my great-grandma's master. My brother described him as a middle-aged man dressed in a high-class traditional Kamai outfit who looked like royalty or someone from high society. My brother managed to free one of his arms and grabbed the crucifix on the nightstand and held it in front of him, hoping that his faith would send the evil beings away. But the man and the children just laughed. They continued to berate him, telling him that converting religions was not enough to get rid of them. But my brother knew it wasn't true and remained strong. They were trying to break his spirit, but my brother held on for as long as he could until he eventually passed out. When he woke up the next morning, he rushed over to our house, told us what happened, and asked if he could move back in with us. After my brother's baptism, I asked him for more details about what happened that night. 
I was the only one in the family who had never experienced anything in that house, and I was curious to know what our great-grandmother's master was like. My brother wrinkled his brow. You're kidding, right? No, I've never seen him before. That's so weird. I, I figured you would have seen him the most out of all of us. He was starting to creep me out a bit. Why do you say that? Well, when we used to share a room, there were so many times where I'd wake up in the middle of the night and you'd be dancing in your sleep. Your hands were bent back at perfect right angles. The first couple of times it happened, I thought it was like some weird sleepwalking thing you were doing. Wait, hang on. How often did this happen? Almost every night. My stomach dropped. I didn't remember any of this at all. I felt sick. My brother continued. Sometimes I'd see a pair of legs standing at the edge of your bed. Just the legs because it was so dark, but I think that was him watching you as you danced. I never said anything because I figured you probably didn't want to talk about it. I'm sorry. There's nothing to be sorry about, I said. I'm just a little surprised. This whole time I thought that I had managed to escape him. I thought it was so strong, so much stronger than you and mom and dad. But I guess I wasn't. I just wonder what else he was controlling about me without my knowledge. If you would like to submit a story, please send me an email at somethingscary@snarled.com. This podcast is also available in video form on youtube.com slash snarled. Until next time, sweet dreams. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.